Please do take out your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 5. As we turn to God's word now, let's turn to him and ask for his help. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, would you be pleased to open our hearts to your word? Would you be pleased to open your your word to our hearts so that we would know what we are to believe about you and what duty you ask of your people? And Father, as we follow Jesus, help us to live no longer for ourselves, but for the one who's lived and died and rose again in our place and on our behalf, for we pray in his name, amen. So as I mentioned earlier, for the last five weeks, we've been listening to the prelude, and we've been listening to the four songs of the incarnation, uh, two that took place before the birth of Jesus and two after the birth of Jesus. Uh, Today, we're going to pick up in Luke where we left off all the way back on the 20th of November when we looked at chapter 5, verses 12 through 26, in how to approach Jesus. Well, as we move forward now in Luke, I think it's important just to remember once again uh, that Luke has a purpose, he has a plan, and his purpose, as we see in the first few verses of chapter 1, his purpose is he's writing to provide certainty about the person and work of Jesus. This certainty is not arrogance, it's not overconfidence, but it's a humble certainty, a humble sureness. And he has a plan. A plan to provide certainty, and that is to write an orderly account, a narrative account of the life and ministry of Jesus that is um, historically accurate, thoroughly researched, and well-organized to show who Jesus is and what he came to do. And one of the ways that we can sum up all of the gospel according to Luke is in verse, or chapter 19, verse 10, where Jesus says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. And as we will see in Luke, and as we've already been seeing, it's all kinds of people who are lost in all kinds of ways. You see, Luke wants his reader, his original reader, Theophilus, he wants his readers then and now to know for sure that Jesus is for real. And today's text will help us get to know Jesus as he's revealed, as he's made known in the scriptures. Because today, in 2023, there continues to be widespread ignorance and confusion regarding the identity of Jesus Christ. A few years ago, I read an interesting article. I just looked at it again the other day. It's entitled, 10 Counterfeit Christ Figures We Should Stop Worshipping. 10 Counterfeit Christ Figures We should stop worshiping. And it's based on a book called The Original Jesus, Trading the Myths We Create for the Jesus Who Is. This author lists these 10 kind of counterfeit Christ, the guru Jesus, the red letter Jesus, the Braveheart Jesus, the American Jesus, the left-wing Jesus, the Dr. Phil Jesus, the prosperity Jesus, the post-church Jesus, the best friend forever Jesus, and the legalist Jesus. But he left off kind of the general one. It's the Jesus of our imagination. 
you know, you're in conversation with people around the table, maybe at a bus stop, at work. Well, well, I think Jesus would do this. Well, I don't think Jesus is the kind of person that would do that. The Jesus we imagine or the Jesus who is revealed in Scripture. Jesus according to the Bible, and that's what Luke is doing. Because when he's writing Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught, the central things about which Theophilus has been taught is things concerning Jesus, who he is, what he came to do, what he offers. Now, thus far in this narrative account of the ministry of Jesus, we've seen after his birth and dedication in the temple and then when his parents thought they had lost him and he was there sitting amongst the teachers. We've seen Jesus be tempted in the wilderness. We've seen him teaching and being rejected in his hometown of Nazareth. We've seen him healing. We've seen him preaching. And here beginning in chapter 5, we've seen him calling disciples, cleansing a leper. And the last time we were here in chapter 5, healing a paralyzed man, body, and soul. Well, that brings us to our text today. Join with me as I read these verses, Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. After this, he, that is Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Well, we're going to explore our short text by focusing on the call and the complaint. First, let's take a look at the calling of Levi. And we see that in verses 27 and 28. Well, who is Levi? Well, you might remember him most by another name, Matthew. One of the 12 original disciples, an apostle, the one who wrote the gospel according to Matthew. Well, as you know, Matthew has a focus on kind of the Israel and the promises and the history of Israel. And it makes sense, right? Because Levi is a Jew. He's working as a tax collector. He, he is collaborating with the occupying Romans. He's viewed by his countrymen, fellow Jews, as a traitor. Now remember earlier, the leper is viewed as a social outcast, right? Untouchable. Well, here Luke follows up with not just this social outcast, but a spiritual outcast as well. Now, a tax collector like Levi would have been excommunicated from the synagogue. 
that place where faithful Jews would gather weekly to hear the scriptures read and spoken about. He would be excommunicated from the synagogue. He would be absolutely hated. He would be viewed as a disgrace to his family. Now in the Talmud, the kind of Jewish, um, at the time, the rabbinic um, collection of um, instructions in the uh, first couple of centuries A.D., um, this is what the Talmud said. It is righteous to lie and deceive a tax collector. Did you hear that? You are told that it's okay to lie and deceive a tax collector. Why? Because they're worthless. They are ceremonially and morally unclean. They may be wealthy, and chances are Matthew, excuse me, Levi made a good living. Why? Because in this way, he, 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 he had these taxes that he had to collect and pay the Romans, but anything he could collect above that was his to keep. It was a profitable venture to extort, basically, your fellow countrymen. He was despised. He was hated. He was a disgrace. He's sitting at his, what, tax booth, probably seeing travelers and merchants and fishermen come and go, and he's collecting taxes. And he hears two words, or at least Luke summarizes it with two words. He hears this call, follow me. Follow me. Do you all see what Jesus is doing here? He's choosing a despised man. Now, Jesus' authority, we saw earlier, allowed him not just to call blue-collar workers fishermen. We saw that in the first 11 verses of 5. Not only authority to forgive sin, we see all that with the paralytic, but he has the authority to call out-and-out recognized sinners. Those who were social and spiritual at outcast, those who were hated who were viewed as being disgraces. Who does Jesus call? He calls Levi. And he calls him not to a plan, not to a program, not to principles, but rather he calls him to a person. Follow me. Does not say follow the plan follow the program, follow the principles. He says, follow me, a person. His call is not to a creed, as important as creeds are, and not to a cause, as important as it calls, but he's rather calling them to the Christ, the promised one who has come. And notice the response to the call. And leaving everything, he, that is Levi, rose and followed him. He heard a call and he makes a response. He rose and followed Jesus. Now, the, the call is very brief and it's matched by the immediacy of a response. It's 
notice it's, it's, it's Levi's priority. I've, I've been challenged recently. People say, you don't have priorities. You have a priority. Think about it. You don't have priorities. You have a priority. Something that really is first. Luke is saying that Levi has now made Jesus his priority. It's his focus. Now this, this call that we see in an economy of words here from Luke, uh, it really does, and we'll see this as Luke unfolds, we'll see this as really representative of every call of every Christian. And, and you see in, in seed form, uh, the doctrines of election, uh, the effectual call, faith, repentance, because later we'll see where Jesus said he came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So in saying, follow me, Luke is wanting us to see that Jesus is saying, repent, believe. We'll also see worship. There's fellowship with and glorifying God, and we'll see witness as well. Follow me. Follow me. Uh, what does it mean to follow? I mean, kids, what, what, what's one of the first games you learn to play, right? Follow the leader, right? Follow the leader. And, and what does it mean to follow? I mean, it, it's following is so simple, yet it's high and wide and deep, isn't it? Because when you follow, get this, you don't get to choose where you're going. When you follow, you don't get to choose where you're going. When you follow, you don't get to determine how fast or how slow you're going. When you're following, you don't get to choose the company you're with because you're following. You see, when you follow, you take your eyes off of yourself, what you want, what you think you need, what's important to you. You take your eyes off of yourself. The, the mirror, as it were, gets shattered. And all that's in front of you is a window through which you see the one you are following. Follow me, Jesus said. So it's no wonder that another name for Christians are followers of Jesus, right? In the Gospels, he will say, whoever would come after me, he says to those who want to follow, whoever would come after me, let him, what, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The call is to a person. The call is to Jesus. So on this first day of the new year, why not spend a few minutes later today and ask yourself this question? Am I following Jesus? Ask another related question. Can anyone around me tell that I'm following Jesus? Well, there's a saying, no good deed remains unpunished, right? And you would think that a tax collector 
leaving the work that people hated, right, would be a good thing. But no, this calling of Levi is met with a complaint. A complaint. So let's look now at the complaint of the Pharisees and their scribes. And we see that in verses 29 through 30. First, did you hear that there was a change that took place in Levi? Not only did he get up, leave everything, and follow Jesus, but he, he, he not only stops doing something, he starts doing something. He hosts a great feast, we read in verse 29. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. He hosts Jesus in his house. It's like Zacchaeus will, as we'll see in Luke 19, in months' time. He's bringing Jesus into his home, around the table, and he's inviting others, other tax collectors, to other sinners, as the Pharisees would say, to join him. A great feast. I mean, here's the significance of table fellowship, uh, meal fellowship. It's an intimate thing, getting to know someone over a meal. And in the ancient world, in this day, table fellowship meant mutual acceptance. You didn't have your enemies around the table. You had your friends. And you didn't have just friends that you wanted to keep at arm's length. You wanted those that you wanted to know up close. Now, there's a book that I've got my eyes on, and it's one of the books that I haven't purchased yet, but it's intriguing. It's called A Meal with Jesus, Discovering Grace, Community, and Mission Around the Table. Did you hear that? A Meal with Jesus, Discovering Grace, Community, and Mission Around the Table with Jesus. And you may not be surprised that it's all about an exposition of Luke all of the meal scenes in Luke, of which this is the first. Those of you may have been here when Jason Wong, who we're now supporting as a church planter in St. Louis, he was saying that really before you can share the gospel with people, you've got to invite them into your life. You've got to befriend them. You've got to have them in your home. You've got to he plays soccer weekly with this group of people in St. Louis that he's getting to know. The importance of table fellowship. Something has happened to Levi. He wants other people to know about Jesus. He's inviting them into his home. A great feast, meal fellowship. And what is what is the response of the religious elite guard? What is the response of the Pharisees and their scribes? They grumbled, or as some translations say, they murmured. They, they, they made a complaint. They grumbled, they murmured. The word here used is, is the same word translated uh, in the uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament that describes Israel's complaining in the wilderness. They're grumbling, they're murmuring. God, you've led us out here to die. We should have stayed in Egypt. God, you're not gonna provide for us. 
You know, it would have been better to, to die with our bellies full than out here in the wilderness with our bellies empty. See, back then Israel didn't recognize God's provision and Israel is not recognizing God's provision in Jesus. You see, Levi is beginning to follow Jesus and when you follow Jesus, you become like Jesus over time and, and you begin to welcome people as Jesus welcomes people. Now, to the religious, to the Pharisees and their scribes, this is shocking. It's scandalous because in many ways they practice salvation by separation. It's what you don't do that affects salvation. It's it's how you stay away from and apart from is how you grow to be pleasing to God. Now, to be sure, there is stuff to avoid and stuff to stop. But Jesus is making the point as he touched the leper. Jesus is going to go to the outcast, to the lost, and to the least. You know, I think to realize that that Jesus loves us, it thrills us, but sometimes to realize that Jesus loves other people, it scares us. And here, the Pharisees are scared. Every week, I in one way or another, talk about welcoming one another as Jesus has welcomed us, right? Romans 15, 5. Glorify God with one voice. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. Levi's got a jump start on this. He's welcoming others as Jesus has welcomed him. Now, the context of Romans 15, of course, is the church. We are to welcome one another, right? Somebody comes in this door, proclaims that they believe in Jesus, trust him, we welcome, right? But it's also welcoming our neighbors, right? Welcoming those who do not profess faith. Levi has met Jesus He wants other people, his colleagues in crime, so to speak, to meet Jesus as well. He throws Jesus a big party and he invites others to join them. I know the budget's been made for um, 2021. We might need to revisit it and just see if there's a party budget to, to, to invite people here to, to meet Jesus informally over a meal. That's what Levi's doing. He's throwing a party for Jesus in his honor, but he's inviting others. Now, it's interesting, right? The Pharisees and their scribes are criticizing Jesus, right? What do we say? They grumbled. They grumbled at his time. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? You know, it's interesting. The criticism of Jesus actually gives us a better understanding to know who Jesus is. He's compassionate. He's not afraid to associate with sinners. My friends, that's good news of good news, is it not? If we had to let not conscience make you linger, linger um, 
nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. This he gives you. Rob said, I think, he doesn't come to those who've got their act together. He comes to those who know they don't have their act together. He comes to people like Levi. So before we move on, here's the question. Are we prepared Are we prepared to invite others and tell them about what has happened to us? Are we prepared to invite others and tell them what has happened to us? Levi, his life is changing. He's following Jesus and he is ready to invite others to meet Jesus. But also, are we prepared to receive criticism Are we prepared to receive criticism from those who don't think it's good that we should associate with the outcast, the lost and the least? We've got to be prepared to invite people, all kinds of people. We've got to be prepared to receive criticism from some who don't see that that is a good thing. So Jesus, we're going to move on, responds to this complaint not by making a counter complaint. Oh yeah? Well, how about you, right? That's what we typically do, right? Somebody makes a complaint against us, we make a complaint against them. Somebody argues this against us, we argue that against them, right? Jesus does not make a counter complaint but rather he's going to draw attention to his call. In other words, their complaint provides the opportunity for Jesus to speak about his calling, the reason why he came. And so in verses 31 and 32, we see the calling of Jesus. I don't know if you picked it up, but you see Jesus' attitude, his approach, his posture. You see, Jesus does not wait for his disciples to answer, but rather answers for them. Notice the scribes and Pharisees are grumbling at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them. And Jesus answered them. Right in that expression should be something so encouraging. Jesus is going to defend his people. Jesus is going to be the one that when we don't know what to say, how to defend ourselves, he's going to defend us. He answers for them. And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Well, of course, Luke is the beloved physician, and so he must really like this, that Jesus is now bringing in the well, the sick, the physician. Jesus is providing medical analogies and metaphors. And the irony here, of course, is is those who think they are well. Not really the well, because there is no one righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, as Paul rightly says to the Roman church and to us. Jesus is saying, I am the doctor. And I move toward the sick and am welcomed by those who know they are sick. 
Now, I don't know, Luke doesn't tell us, and we don't have the ability to see what's going on in the invisible spiritual realm, but something happened to Levi for him to stand up, leave everything, and follow Jesus. It was probably in that time he recognized he was a sinner and that Jesus, who he had heard about, most likely offered forgiveness. He knew he wasn't well. He knew Jesus could do something about it. So this text really does present us with this question. Do we believe we are well or sick? I mean, who needs a doctor? The well or the sick? I'm always confused sometimes when I've gone to a doctor's office and it says the sick waiting room and the well waiting room. I'm not exactly sure why they have like the well waiting room. Maybe it's for the annual physical. But here, Jesus is making it clear that it's those who are sick need the doctor, because the gospel is irrelevant news for people who don't know they're sick, who don't know they're sinners, but the gospel is good news for those who know they are sinners. People that don't realize they're sinners don't hear his voice. And so the answer for those who don't think they need to be forgiven, as well as for those who are struggling to believe they are forgiven, is to turn to Jesus. You see, the goal of Christianity, or a goal of Christianity, is not to need Jesus less and just go forward in your own performance. No, it's to need Jesus more, if anything. Every other religion, Luke is going to contrast, every other religion gives us teachers who tell us what to do. Only Christianity, only the gospel gives us Jesus who does for us what we could never do for ourselves The gospel offers us a savior. Before we are sufferers needing relief like the paralytic, we are sinners needing pardon like the paralytic. And so Christianity is only for those who know that they are moral failures, sick and in need of help. It's for those people needing to see a doctor. And as we open up and explore the parable of the prodigal son, really the parable of the two sons, we'll see that the younger son came to himself. He he came and realized his need, but the older brother, the older son, never saw his need. And in the end, stands outside watching the party going on on the inside. You see, the good news of the gospel is that the doctor is in and will see you now. Our text showcases and highlights this twofold calling of Jesus. First, the calling of Jesus, his mission, his purpose, what to call sinners to repentance. Remember Advent, remember the name that Gabriel, the angel, told Joseph. You will name him Jesus and they will save his people. He will save his people from their sins. You've heard earlier and we'll get to one day in Luke 19 where Jesus says he, will, he came to seek and to save the lost. That's in the story of Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector. 
Here, Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I mean, here it is, salvation through repentance from sin and faith in Jesus, two sides of the same coin. So that's the first aspect of the calling of Jesus. It's his mission, his purpose. But now let's end with this focus. The calling of Jesus. Follow me. There is no question. We know how Jesus responded to the call on his life. However, there is a question. How will you respond to his call on your life? Because Jesus said then and he says now to all kinds of people, old and young, black and white, rich and poor, educated and uneducated, people with spotless reputations, people whose reputations are in the gutter. He says to all kinds of people, two words, follow me. May God be pleased to give all of us ears to hear, minds to know, and hearts to receive and embrace this call of Jesus. As we remember that it's not the righteous, not the righteous, but sinners Jesus came to call. And may God be pleased to give all of us the eyes of faith to see Jesus and to live our lives based on the truth that it's in Christ alone where our hope is found now and forever on this New Year's Day and all our days. Amen. Father, we thank you for this glimpse into the life and ministry of Jesus where he pursued he sought and found an outcast, someone hated and despised. Father, we thank you for the good news that Jesus pursues those kinds of people. Help us, Father, to hear his call and to follow him. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Christ.